I hope all's doing well. Um, If this is your first Sunday here, uh, welcome, glad to have you. Uh, One of the things you just saw up here is something that's so important to us as Cornerstone, is that we do desperately want to see our community reached with the amazing message of Jesus. We do. And so we work alongside of, of, of everyone in the hopes that people will embrace Jesus Christ and see me valley. But we believe the gospel is intended to not just go to, to people that live in a little valley with 120,000 people. We believe the gospel is to go to all different races and, and languages. And so with that, um, that's, that's what we're about. We really do believe in the amazingness of this gospel and it to change lives. And so um, just so you know, that's, it's, if that's what you want to be a part of, we would love to, to have you be a part of us. Um, we've been going through a couple series. Um, the first series we went through was a series on hope. Uh, my whole heart in doing the series on hope was to get everybody focused on the fact that this, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is not your home. If you're a follower of Jesus, your home is in a different place. It's in a new heavens, in a new earth. It's distinctively different in that we're only here for a short, short time. Uh, This week, I I did a funeral for a 27-year-old, and I kept hearing this statement over and over again, man, life's short. I don't think we believe that. I think if we believed that, we would live so differently. I think it's become a cliche and we we talk about it, but if we really believe that this life is short and there is an eternity to come, I, I really do believe, and that's why I wanted to teach this series on hope, is that we would live differently. And then we did a series of about eight weeks on the church because we wanted to talk about what, what is the church. And, and we wanted to make sure that you understood this isn't my church. It's not the elders' church. It's, it's not, your, not your church. This church belongs to Jesus. And what matters is what he thinks about who we are, not what we think. Is that in the end that that's what really matters is that, that we would honor Jesus and glorify Jesus and not just put on a production every Sunday or, or put on nice Bible studies or small groups or community groups. Our desire is that we would be a church that if Jesus came and walked amongst us, he would say, that's my church. And so we did a series on that. And, and the thing that we're going to do now is I'm going to start a series on, on the book of John. Uh, it's a book that I was, I was kind of wrestling through. What do we teach on next? And, and I, I, my heart is, is I want us to experience Jesus. And I think the Gospels, all of them are phenomenal. The, the four of them that God put together, that he, he coalesced for us to understand who Jesus was and is. And I think there's something, though, that's really unique about John. See, John is a gospel that when it got put together, the whole heart of it was is that it's about, oh, give or take, about 20 to 40 years removed from some of the other gospels. And it's a guy at the end of his life, a guy probably in his late 70s, early 80s, that's been preaching amongst all the churches, seeing all the problems, and he realizes, I need to write one more thing about Jesus. And so if you would, we're going to be in the first, uh, first three verses of John. I'm, but could we stand and let's just read the first five verses together for, and just prepare our hearts for, for what we're going to be learning today. So John 1, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. God, wow, what a loaded few verses. 
Would you please help me today? God, I beg you. I want to speak for you. I want people to be blown away by your son. So help me today. Would you open ears out there so that people could hear and hearts could be changed? God, I I don't want us to be the same people because we've encountered Jesus Christ. So help me today with that. Would your spirit do work in this room today? In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's get going. Um. The whole goal of what John's going to be doing here is he's going to be conveying to us in as precise of language exactly who Jesus was. Now, in this gospel, you're going to find he never says that John wrote this. In fact, what you're going to see instead is he's going to constantly call himself the disciple that Jesus loved. And I love that, by the way, and I'll explain it in a second. In John 13, uh, 19, 20, and also in 21, we, we run into this statement, the disciple that Jesus loved. It wasn't an arrogant statement. It wasn't, you know, John somehow sitting there going, I'm the only one in the world that Jesus loves. But what it was is this statement that when you get down to it, he was saying to everybody, I am a guy that now that I'm in my late 70s, early 80s, I'm blown away that Jesus loves me. He's an older guy. He's a guy that was his favorite topic was to talk about love. He spoke about it about 80 times through all the different things he wrote in the Bible. And he wrote this gospel when he did probably around 90 AD or so. And like I said, it's about 60 years since Jesus had left. And for most of the New Testament, John is kind of off in the background. He's kind of sitting there back while Peter and Paul are doing most of the ministry. But slowly, one by one, what was happening is all the apostles were slowly dying. And by the time we get to about 90 AD, John is the only one left. He's kind of that elder statesman of the family. In fact, it's talked about him. There's a guy named Jerome who was one of the early church fathers inside of the church, and it said that even at the end of his life, John, who was just this consummate preacher, this guy that used to love to stand in front of God's people and preach, even at the point where he was so frail, they would have to carry him to the gathering of the saints. He wouldn't be able to go up in front of the people very well, so they would take him up front, and he knew he could only speak a few words because of how tired and worn out he was, and the only thing he would say to the congregation, they said over and over was, love one another that's all and he would be done he was a guy that was just absolutely blown away by life but I think the other thing about the reason that I want to teach this particular gospel is lately I've been appreciating those with age they've kind of been there done that the other gospels they're fully I believe fully inspired by God but there's something about an older man sitting there at the end of his life and he's going to write down some thoughts as he as he gets ready to exit this world. This last uh, two weeks ago I, I went we we thought my grandmother was going to die so we hurried back to Wyoming and we get to Wyoming and Uh, My grandmother gets put in the hospital six hours later. My grandpa gets put on the sixth floor. She's on the fourth floor. And we're going back and forth. And she's getting ready to go in for surgery. We don't think she's going to make it. And so in the middle of all of it, they asked my grandpa, would you like to go see her possibly before she, she goes in for surgery and possibly dies? And he says, yeah, I mean, please. They wheeled him down. And my grandpa's about 93, 94 years old. He gets to the bed and he's been having problems. He's got a degenerative uh, problem in his back, but he climbed out of his wheelchair. He grabbed my grandma's hand and he goes, my gosh, you're beautiful. I wasn't in the room, but my wife said, like everybody's like bawling. 
And he just looked at her at one point and he said, look, if you need to go be with Jesus, just go be with Jesus. I'm not going to be far behind. <laughs> and then he prayed over her, not like a 40-year-old like me. He prayed over her like a man who had been married to the same woman for 74 years. See, there's something about a depth to age. They wheeled him back up. I came into the room, and everyone else had left. And I go, well, how'd it go? And he goes, you know, it's funny. He goes, the whole time, everybody's talking about the fact that they hope we make it to 75 years. And he looks at me, and he goes, as if 74 wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) But he's at a place in life where he just sees through all the junk. He sees what really matters. Now, the thing about John that you have to understand is don't misunderstand something. This man wasn't always this gentle, loving person. In fact, in his younger years, Jesus, when he first met him and his brother James, he called them the sons of thunder, meaning they had problems. And I think it's hard to imagine, like, what John really looked like, because if you've ever seen the picture, like, especially of the Final Supper, there's, here's Jesus, you know, in the middle of it, doing whatever stance he's doing, and And here's John at like his side, and he's like this. (laughs) And he's looking up to him with these dove eyes. Let me just tell you something, that's a lie. John was a hardcore fisherman. I mean, can you imagine him taking up the nets? He was a guy that was rugged. He was hard-edged. The other thing we know about him from reading the other Gospels, he was intolerant. He was ambitious. He was zealous. But the one thing that keeps coming up about him, he's hot-headed. He was a follower of John the Baptist early in his life, and he's, he's hanging out with John. You're going to see this later on in John 1, 19 through 51. And all of a sudden, John looks at Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And John looks at John the Baptist and goes, Peace out. And he goes out and hangs out with Jesus. Now, some of you think, wow, that's kind of sporadic, but you've got to understand he was a teenager at this point. Probably 16, 17, 18 years old, and he's hanging out with John the Baptist. He's a fisherman. He's he's trying to figure out who this Messiah was. He's mending his nets. It talks about in Matthew 4. Jesus comes along, says, follow me, and he says, I'm with you. He was probably good friends with Peter. We know that he was a business associate. We learned that from Luke 5, that they actually were business associates, and they were, they were in the fishing business together. He was probably well-off. He came, probably came from a well-off uh, family. His, his dad, Zebedee, was probably a, a maintainer of a lot of different fishing boats. We, we know that because John's mom probably funded a lot of Jesus' ministry. But he was also a guy that had a mom that really had plans for her sons, James and John. She wanted them to achieve. And in fact, at the very end of Jesus's ministry, she comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, when you get there on your throne, could one sit on your right and one sit on your left? Jesus is like, woman, you don't know what you're asking. He was a guy that was there at the very time in which Jesus was tried. He probably got access to the trial because his family was probably pretty well off. He stayed with Jesus while everyone else scattered. He was at the trial. And in fact, the next time that we see John is when Jesus is being crucified. John is standing there right next to Mary, Jesus' mother. And we have this amazing act where Jesus looks down at the son of thunder, somebody I would never entrust my mom to, 
But Jesus, after three years, looks down to John and says, take care of her, John. And I think the reason that I love John so much is he's the story of how Jesus changes lives. It's a story of this amazing Savior that loves to take what's broken and rotten, which all of us in this room, before we knew Jesus, you know, that's who we were. And he grabs each and every one of us and he makes us different because all of these men that followed him, Jesus gave care to all of them and he, he watched over them. But the thing you notice about each of their lives is they got changed. And the son of thunder, John, was a man that got changed. This fisherman who had fished for fish was now being released to fish for men. This fisherman that is 60 years old, after 60 years of maturing, he becomes this amazing, gentle pastor. And it's the real reason I really want to talk about this is that here's this guy at the end of his life, and I promise you the thing that he does is he cuts through all the crap. He goes through everything, and he just tells us this is who Jesus is. He takes off all the niceties. He's not really concerned about the order of events like the other guys. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'll let them. And, and probably he had exposure to at least one of the other gospels. Fine, the order's fine. But you have got to understand Jesus. He was a guy. And if you've ever been there at that place before where you're trying to help somebody understand Jesus, you're just passionate. This is who he is. And I think in a day and age in which we live where Jesus, we're not sure who he is, we need John to come along and teach us. I know I grew up during the 70s, and if anybody can remember the pictures of Jesus in the 70s, it was this feather-haired guy, white guy, with this clean-cut beard, and he's walking around, and by this time, he wasn't the dainty Jesus. Now he's like the well-built Jesus, and he's sitting there with a lamb around his neck saying, follow me. <laughs> Let me just tell you, that's not this Jesus. And John's going to come in, and he's going to tell us why he wrote the letter. Because while at the same time he's this guy that's getting to the end of his life, I don't want you to somehow think he becomes this soft, dainty one because he's not wishy-washy. Man, he gets to the point, he's black and white. His personality of who he was as the son of thunder now comes out, but it comes out as this one that was absolutely loving. And I think really what is so unique about this particular gospel is it's John after he's watched person after person die, these guys that followed Jesus. And in fact, the first one was his brother James, the first martyr of all the apostles. And he just has that reflection of, oh my gosh, I'm the last one. My grandpa said that to me. We're sitting there, we're in his room, and he goes, well, all my friends are gone, and I'm about ready to lose my wife. And he's kind of had this somber moment, and he just kind of said, well, I guess I'm the last one. He's at this point where he wants to tell us something. In fact, the way that John talks about it, bottom line, is there's one more witness that needs to tell people who Jesus is. And this is why I want to learn from this guy. And the first thing he's going to tell us in this is he's going to get into this and he's going to create this big picture of God. But before there, let me give you the purpose of why John wrote this letter. Go to John 20 and look at verse 30. He's going to tell us exactly. Here is why I'm writing this letter. John 20, look at verse 30. He says this. 
Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And he's, he's referencing the fact that they're, they're written in the other three. You can, you can find out about all these other things in, the, in this other one. But he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What he's going to say, and it's this word that he uses over and over again, this idea of believe, is he's going to sit down, and all of us in this room (coughs) that go through this, we're going to be put at this crossroads of, do you understand who Jesus is? He says, I'm writing this so that you might believe. And so there's some of you in this room that don't know Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, this book, and the reason I'd love for you to walk with us for the next few weeks, is to understand who this Jesus is. It's a crossroads for you. See, right now, I believe God really is standing in front of you, those of you that don't know Jesus, and he's going to tell you this is who Jesus is because all throughout the book of John, it's not only believe, but it's now follow me. I think also there's those of us in this room, we got to be reminded of how amazing Jesus is. See, it's not just a one-time decision. I feel like too often people are just like, you know, I come to Jesus because I don't want to go to hell, but Jesus does not put up with that. He doesn't put up with just say a prayer to me so that you don't go to hell. He's looking at these people and saying, follow me. And we need these fresh new exposures to who Jesus is because the last thing he tells us in verse 31 is so that you might have life in his name. See, I feel like what's happened in our culture today, especially in the Christian culture, is we've sold out for a cheap life of just kind of going through the the motions of playing Christianity. And Jesus in the book of John is looking and going, no, I offer you so much more. I offer you life like you've never understood it. And so with that, what John's going to do is he's going to call on us to believe. And the starting place that he comes to in verse 1 is way different than all the other Gospels. In Matthew, if you look at Matthew 1, he starts with a genealogy. And you're like, dude, why did you start with a genealogy? (sighs) He helps you understand why. Mark, man, bang, he's off and he's talking about the ministry of Jesus. John the Baptist is preaching. Then suddenly Jesus is just out doing ministry. Luke is all about this doctor that, that he's, he's explaining how he's researched everything. But what John does, is he starts from this distance and he starts before time. And he's going to say, look, I, whoa, 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 you got to understand something. Jesus didn't just show up here. He's been around forever. And I, I kind of liken it to you all know, some of you know, one of my favorite things to do is to climb mountains. I love it. I know some of you think that's absolutely stupid, but I just, I love it. I'll never forget one time my wife and I were in Rocky Mountain National Park. And, and if you've ever been there before, there's one 14,000 foot peak there called Long's Peak. And we're sitting out, you know, and I, I was probably drinking a Diet Coke and she was probably drinking water because she's a better person than me in that. And, and so we're just sitting there and we're looking up at Long's Peak and, and I don't even know, if she, I think I saw at least, what time was it when we finally said we were going to climb? Yeah. So the night before, I'm like, the sun goes down and I look at her, I go, let's climb it. And she looks at me with that, you know, wife look like, sure, honey. I go, no, seriously, I think we can make it. And so I'm asking around what we need to do to climb it. And this guy goes, oh, you're probably going to need to leave at about three in the morning. And I'm like, oh, we can do that. 
you know, what do we need? And he's like, well, I mean, do you guys have flashlights? And I'm like, need a flashlight. Yeah, uh-huh. go ahead. And I just was putting it all together. I remember us filling back up our bottles. We had an old school backpack, like the kind that your kids take to school. And we started loading it with water. And she's like, I don't have gloves. So I hand her my socks. And, and it's just, you know, it's, so we're just getting ready to climb this thing. And we, we start off on this adventure because I'm the type of person, I can't just sit back and look at something. It's like, we've got to go experience it. So we start climbing. You can't see anything. And I don't know. You'll have to ask her what was going through her mind at the time. I'm sure she was thinking, what in the world am I doing? And we're going through these trails, but I'll still never forget with her when we came out and the sun came out. You remember that? And we're probably around 12 or 13,000 feet. And I just remember sitting there and up comes the sun over the plains of Colorado. And if you've ever been in a position like that before, it just shuts you up. And what John wants to do in John 1, 1 through 3, he wants you just to shut up. He's looking at all of us and just going, shh. I want you to be blown away. Because the way he's going to phrase it, he's going to say, in the beginning was the word. He's going to take us way back to the very beginning of time, all the way back to when everything started. And the way that he's going to talk about it, that word there was, is in what's the Greek called is the imperfect. It means he just was always, he was wasing. And I know that's not good grammar, but that's what he was doing. Dr. Seuss would be proud of me. <laughs> he was wasing, he was existing, he was just always there. In the beginning, from the very start, and it just conjures up all these images of what was going on in Genesis. This idea of when, when it was started off, and it says, in the beginning, who? God. See, from the very start, what he's going to want us to understand is, is this man that I'm talking about, this man that uniquely healed people and walked on water, this particular one, from the very beginning, before time was around, he was God. And in fact, the way that he calls him, he says, he's the word. Now that word, word, is a word that was used specifically at a time when not only did the Gentiles use it, but the, but the Jewish people used it. It meant an expression of something. The way in which somebody would express who they were. In fact, the writer of Hebrews in, in uh, I think it's chapter 1, just talked about, hey, long times ago, in many ways, God spoke through to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In other words, he's the expression of God from the Father. And you're going to see this later on in verse 14 when it talks about the word became flesh and he helps us understand this is Jesus. He's going to begin his gospel and just talk about this word, the first, the final, the ultimate, the decisive, the absolute one is this one that's expressing himself from God. He's probably conjuring more stuff from the Old Testament in which the word that was used, oftentimes this word logos is what it is, was used to explain creation and and revelation and deliverance and even wisdom. It was just a very, very important word to the Jewish people. And what he was trying to say is that Jesus is this powerful self-expression of God. In the beginning was this one, and he's now manifesting himself, literally in flesh in front of you, this powerful self-expression of God. Then he goes on and he gives us something different. Not only is he this powerful self-expression that's been here from the very beginning, he was wasing, but the word was wasing, he was existing with God. 
that word is so specific. When he talks about this idea of being with God, he uses this Greek word pros, which literally means face to face. He's saying the, the son, the word that he's talking about here, and the father, they've been in existence. They've been was wasing forever. And they're in relationship together. It speaks of nearness. It speaks of closeness. It speaks of intimacy. But more important, what he's going to do is he's trying to help us understand something, that Jesus, the Son, and the Father are different. Now, this word that we're going to start to explore into is this idea of Trinity, and we spoke about it a little bit earlier, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and a lot of times we try to wrap our little minds around it, and we can't, and praise God that we can't, because I don't want to worship a God that I can wrap my mind around. But when he says he was with God, he means he was distinct. But look what he does next after that. Not only was he with God face to face, distinct from him, and the word was wasing God. Now here's the key to John, and listen to me close. The thing John is going to argue the whole way through is Jesus is God. In fact, the way that he writes it here, he, the way that he puts it, he puts it in such a way in the Greek that actually the way it should be said is this. And the word was, I'm not going to scream, God! Okay, I want to freak it. But it's this idea in there where he's trying to get across to us is that from the very beginning of time, before time began, not only was he face to face, but he was one in essence. They were together. And it's one of the weightiest doctrines inside of Christianity. And it's simple on one level and weighty on the other level. But this idea is this one who became flesh, Jesus Christ, was and is God. When he writes this, he means that, that, that literally in essence and in character, while distinct and different, they are same. They are together. He was God in every single way, though he was a separate person from the Father. And by placing this together in this kind of a way, he was helping us to understand this one, this Jesus, is mind-blowing. In fact, the way that he's going to talk about it is, is this idea of the lamb in John 1, 19 through 51, this one that stood in front of you that John said, that's the one that takes the sin, away, sin of the world away. When he talks about the wedding, when Jesus Christ takes and turns water into wine, when he talks about Jesus turning over the tables, when he, he talks about Nicodemus and being born again, and he talks about the woman, this woman that had been caught up in multiple adulterous affairs at the well, this one is God, and the paralytic at the pool, and the feeding of the 5,000, and, and the one who walked on water, the one who was preaching with boldness in the temple, the one who said, I am, the one who raised Lazarus from the dead, the one who washed the apostles' feet, the one who was bruised and beaten, the one who was crucified, and the one that rose from the grave, that one that you heard about, that I saw with my eyes, he wasn't just a man, he was man, he was God in the flesh. And he just puts it up in front of everybody as a crossroads. And the thing that everybody in this room is going to have to deal with is that reality. He wasn't just an, any old man. He wasn't a prophet like the Muslims say. He wasn't Gabriel the archangel like, like Jehovah's Witnesses say. He wasn't just a good guy like it was talked about inside of Mormonism. When we talk about this person, John, who's almost 80 years old, is sitting there looking at everybody who probably was flippantly just kind of letting Jesus become this just person that somehow uh, we just kind of worship. He's saying, no, he is and was God and forever will be. He's got them booking back like my wife and I were at this mountain just going, oh my gosh, look at him. 
I mean, have you ever stood on the edge of the Grand Canyon before? Isn't it just breathtaking? And this is what John is doing. He goes on, and he's going to explain it a little bit more. He was in the beginning, verse 2, with God. See, John intends the, the whole gospel to be read in light of this. See, there's going to come a point in John 20 where Thomas, who is this doubter, stands down in front of Jesus Christ and he says, oh, my Lord and my God, and he just bows to him. Those that reject him, are, you're going to see this in John 10. In fact, the way that it talks about it in John 10, the Jewish leaders say to him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. In other words, that is the key issue to which people rejected him. Because if Jesus is God, then our only response as a group of people is to fall in front of him and say, oh, my Lord and my God, like Thomas. And as if that wasn't enough, he gives us verse 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 1, we talked about in the beginning, but now he's going to just absolutely slam it home. He's going to help us to understand that before anything was matter, before there was time, before there was anything, this Jesus was the one who came in and said, let it be, and this world was brought into existence. In fact, the way it talks about it in Colossians 1, 15 through 21, it just has this picture of Jesus. It says, not only did, was everything created by him, but imagine this. Everything at this moment is being held together by him, and Jesus, if he ever wanted to, could say, eh, I'm done with it, and he could just pull it all apart. That's this Jesus. The universe, in fact, just resonates with the rhythm that Jesus gave it. The speed of light, how waves operate, planets, how they go around stars, everything in this universe operates in such a way because this one who, think about it, was lying in a manger who took on flesh, John says, that's him. And the implication, I think, has everything to do with us now understanding, okay, if that's really who he is, and I see his infinite worth, I don't just mentally assent to him, but I see who he is, and if this one has created me and knows me, he must know what gives me the most life. See, that's really why I want to do this. I look around, sometimes even at us, and I look at our culture, Jesus is crying out to us saying, I offer life. I think there's some in here that are like, no, I don't want to go there. I want to live my life for now. And let me tell you something. There's person after person here that's lived with this idea of thinking, I want to run my life. And every time we try to run it, we run it into the rocks. He made us. He put us together. He knows how we operate and you don't just need him for the end. You need him right now. And if you don't know him in here, I'm telling you today, that one, who this massive one who created everything is looking out at all of you just like he looked at John. And he's looking at you, offering you life like you've never known. And I'm not talking giddy health and wealth. I'm talking something so much bigger than that. I'm talking a relationship with the creator of the universe. And he's looking at you and saying, follow me. We've become too satisfied with such little stuff. 
He knows us better than we do. He created us. He formed us inside of our moms, according to Psalm 139, and he wants to give us life. I think there's also people in here that, don't think, that think your problems are too big. He created the universe. I mean, oh my goodness. And you don't think he can handle your problems? He came so that we might have life and life exceedingly. The question is, to those of you that don't know Jesus, are you going to look at him and reject him like so many did and face the consequences of not following him? But there's a lot of you in this room, I need new exposures to Jesus all the time because a lot of times we come to Jesus and we get all excited and we're like, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. And then in the midst of life, we get drugged down into it and we need to constantly be exposed to this Jesus and the excitement of following Jesus and the thrill and the hope and the expectation, especially when we're walking through difficult times. We need to be able to have this exposure to him because I know there are some of you that are in the doldrums and you walk with Jesus and you need a fresh view of Jesus again so that you can be fired up to follow follow him again. You've been sitting on the sidelines. And let me just tell you something. Jesus is looking at you, those of you in this room that are there and saying, come on, let's go. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And so today, if you need prayer in any kind of a way, we'd love to have you come forward. We'll be up over here. We'd love to pray with you. And even too, there might be some of you that, that need to come and to be baptized. You need to tell everyone in here, I want to follow this Jesus. Bottom line, that's why I can't wait to teach you this book. Because we're going to encounter Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, now here's the last thing. We're about ready to sing. If we stand up and sing this song in light of these three verses we just read and you're like, blah, 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 I swear I will come back up here and we'll start again. Okay? I expect smiles on people's faces. I don't have a good dad face yet. I've been working on it. My kids are only five and four. I expect smiles. No. We should have smiles on our face. We should sing loud. If you're somebody in this room that has a bad voice like me, then just mouth it with exuberance, man. Jesus is God, and he comes to offer life. Amen?